Well, man, what a great day it is to be celebrating the faith of six Confirmation students. Welcome once again to Confirmation Sunday. It is such a blessing to be able to confirm a faith that these students have informed as they choose to follow Jesus, that they have demonstrated in their lives and has been affirmed by their ECC mentors and small group leaders, uh, and that they've publicly professed both at the night of testimonies and then again this morning. Uh, man, it is just such a great, great day to celebrate as a church. Uh, and to those confirmants, to you six, man, what a privilege it has been for me to be a part of this process. Uh, what an honor to pray with you guys and for you guys on that night of testimonies uh, with your family and with your friends and to see how God has already started to use this decision you've made to confirm your faith and how he's going to continue to do that in the future. I'm just so excited for you guys uh, and so proud to be a part of that process. Uh, and, and so this morning, I just have a few words to share with you and with our confirming congregation uh, that I think are going to be really special from the book of 1 Peter. Now, if you've been with us for the last series, you know that 1 Peter is where we've been and we finished that series. Uh, but Caitlin reminded us that this isn't a book to be left on the shelf. It's something we should continue to go back to. And so we're going to dive back into 1 Peter chapter 5 because this is a letter to an early Christian church that shows us what it looks like to be a part of the family of God, to find our worth and value in who God has made us, uh, and how to live as modern exiles in this day and age representing Christ well. And there are just some some words in there for us as a church and for you as confirmands that I don't want us to miss. So let's open up to First uh, Peter chapter 5 uh, in your Bibles. And uh, as you're turning there, the message I think we're going to see in this passage is your first blank here. It's that modern exiles shepherd and submit with humility. And you can fill in modern exiles with confirmands, with those who are confirming their faith, with Christians, with whatever tag you want. But what we are to do as followers of Jesus is to shepherd and submit with humility. Let's read from 1 Peter chapter 5. It says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, before we get to the confirmands, before I speak directly to you guys, let me do as Peter does and address the elders in the room. Now, a few weeks ago, I purposefully, or maybe accidentally, depending on who you ask, shaved my beard. And I've been told this led to me losing about 20 years uh, in age. And so I think uh, the how do you do fellow kids meme uh, is appropriate. Uh, but, but luckily for me and my freshly minimal approach to a beard, uh, Peter's address to elders is both an address to elders in age and elders in spiritual maturity. He's speaking to church elders directly, but he's doing so in a way that applies to anyone with a level of maturity over someone else. That means that I'm going to say some things directly to our ECC elders and pastors and leaders, but I'm also going to say some things that apply to our preteens and our elementary kids and our middle schoolers and our high schoolers as well. 
Pastor Jason put it really well in a meeting this week where he said, if you're out of diapers, you're influencing someone, so these verses apply to you. So with that in mind, let's look at what Peter has to say to us. Uh, he has some really important directions here for the elders, the leaders, the influencers among us, and for those who are continuing to confirm their faith in Jesus. And, and among the words that he gives, there were three that really stood out to me that I want to bring to your attention this morning. The first of those is this command to shepherd the flock. Uh, how many of you have a dog at home? Uh, I do, Sam does, he's raising his hand. And I, I love this dog, right? I have a yellow lab named Spruce, who I've raised since she was a puppy. She sleeps in my bed, we are like buddies, we are like like this. And, uh, and yet, I feel like two thirds of my time is, and maybe you relate, uh, we don't have a fence, so I put her on her leash and I let her outside and she immediately wraps herself around the nearest tree or the table leg or under a rock or somehow just is stuck on nothing and barks and I have to go out and save her. I feel like I'm constantly freeing her from some obstacle, not to mention she's a lab, so on her walks, I'm pulling as hard as I can as she tries to eat the garbage on the side of the road, the banana peel, or whatever it may be. And I think I get a little taste of what shepherding an animal is like from Spruce. It is this constant adventure of bluntly helping her when she's stuck, guiding her away from what is bad, and guiding her toward what is good. That is part of the shepherding that, that Peter is talking about here. And honestly, it kind of sounds like my toddler, right? For, for you parents, you maybe relate to this as well, but I, I can't tell you how often my youngest wants to play with the most dangerous thing in the room. Whether it's standing on like, not the top stair, but the second to top stair and waggling her arms or crawling directly to the fireplace and standing on the mantle or playing with the glass that I'm drinking from and throwing it dangerously across the room or <laughs> opening the dog's mouth and putting her hand in there or head. Uh, whatever it is, my youngest wants to do that and me shepherding her and parenting her well is constantly reframing her, right? Picking her up as she crawls toward the stairs and pointing her toward mom or letting her experience this desire for new danger and curiosity in a safe and healthy context, like saying, hey, take your first steps here on this flat ground <laughs> where you won't die if you fall. Uh, in all these things, both in, in dog parenting, I'm shepherding them, and in toddler rearing, I'm shepherding in the same way that Peter is trying to get us to as leaders. You see, shepherds shape moments. We have the ability to take the instance that those who are looking to us are in and point it from something bad toward something good. And, and I think we know what this means in one-on-one -on -one, uh, contexts between peers as well. Uh, it can even mean guidance to someone who's been in a hard moment or who is hurting. Uh, how many of you have been with someone who just went through a breakup or, or a serious injury or a disappointment? Shepherding in moments like that means being present. It means reminding them who they are. It means tending to their wounds and helping them heal. It still means pointing them in a better direction, but it looks a lot more like a relationship. And so whether it's re redirecting from something bad like I do with my dog or my toddler and pointing them towards something good or being present through something hard, shepherding involves care and concern for those who are under your care. And so to you elders, I wanna ask, who are you shepherding and how are you doing this? Are you putting Peter's words into practice? And for the rest of us, whether you're a fourth grader or a 10th grader or somewhere in between that and our elderliest elders, who are you shepherding and are you caring for them and pointing them in a better direction? So that was the first word, this idea of shepherding. And the second goes right with it and it's willing. 
man, that really stands out to me because this is the moment I could make all the, all of you should be willing to be a sixth grade small group leader this year reference, which I am currently recruiting for, hint, hint, but I'm not gonna make that reference. Uh, instead, I'll let God convict you on that front by whatever means he chooses. But truthfully, our willingness to participate uh, with those around us, our willingness to stand up with those who are less mature than us matters. Parents, have you ever tried to parent your kids to shepherd them well when you're angry? Uh, I know from my experience that those instances do not go well for me. That when I'm upset or angry, it doesn't end well and I'm not happy with the way that I engage with my kids. Or, or even those times where I'm physically present, but I'm worried about something else. I have something else on my mind. I'm not really willing to be in the moment. Instead, I wish I was somewhere else. I'm never happy with the way that those turn out. They're not the moments in my life that I am proud of where I've had a good influence on those around me, whether it's my kids or my campers when I worked as a camp counselor or my youth group students. And this is true for all of us as well. It's hard to positively influence or shepherd someone if we're not all the way there if we're not willing to give it our full attention. And so the truth is that when we're unwilling, it means we're unfruitful. If we want to see God do something, we have to be willing to participate. I don't wanna be a Jonah where God accomplishes what he wants in spite of me. I wanna be a Jesus where God does it through me because I submit to him. And that follows right into this third example, right? Because I think uh, for you younger people, we have a real hard time being willing. How many times have your parents said, work on your attitude? <laughs> and I, we all need to work on our attitude, right? But it's clear from the way we act, how our attitude is impacting our willingness or our unwillingness. And it's because that's the example that we're setting. That's the third word here. See, Peter lays out this strong case against do as I do, and not, or do as I say, not as I do. Uh, the task is not to lay out what following Christ looks like. The task for us is to model it, to put it into practice. And this isn't something that's bound by age. We've all heard the phrase, there's no I in team. Well, there's no age in example either. Our leaders at ECC ought to be setting examples of what following Jesus looks like. Uh, ECC elders, you have to set the bar for this. Uh, teachers and, and directors and pastors and, and small group leaders, we have to step up and set that example. And yet, I saw amazing examples of what following Jesus looks like at the night of testimonies. I heard from students and from their families how these confirmands are setting examples for those around them, for each other and for their parents and, and those in their families. Age doesn't mean you can't set an example for those who are older than you and younger than you. We are compelled to set an example for those younger than us in faith by these verses, but we can set that same example for those who are older than us as well. Uh, let, let me speak for a minute right to our preteens, because normally you guys would be in class with me right now. Do you have any idea how much the younger kids look up to you? Do you have any idea what impact how you act has on them? When you uh, help us lead the songs uh, during kids' church, when you do the actions and sing along, do you know how that they sing louder that they do the actions even more? Do you know that when you focus in and look at the teacher that they focus in? Do you realize that even now, in, in, in viewing this service, in, in participating in this, when you engage, the people around you do too, and not just those who are younger than you. When I see a fourth and fifth grader really beat in on a message, really pay attention, it makes me wanna to listen too, because man, it must be something good. 
you have the power to impact by your example both the kids younger than you and the parents and adults around you. At every age, we have people who are looking to us to see what example we will set. And when we, will fo when we follow Christ's example, we affirm him in our faith and by our actions. That's part of putting our confirmation into practice day by day. That is confirming our faith in every moment. You know, I love this third point because adults, we have to set a good example. We can't miss this. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, he says that if the disciples hadn't been praising him, that the very rocks would cry out. If we don't set an example for the generations around us, we lose our chance to make an impact. It's not God that's gonna lose out, it's us. And frankly, if we don't set the example for these young people, they're gonna look somewhere else. They're gonna find something or someone else to look up to. And I don't wanna leave that up to chance. And neither does Peter. We need to work out our faith with fear and trembling as leaders, as adults, and as elders in front of the generations beneath and around us so they can see our faith, how we process it, how we live in it, and how we work through our doubts as they do the same. And this kind of leads us to this question, right? Because this isn't easy. Shepherding is not easy. Uh, those of you who woke up in the middle of the night to a crying dog know it, or a crying toddler, or a phone call from a friend know it. Uh, being willing in hard situations isn't easy. Uh, ask our, some of our small group leaders. Uh, and then uh, setting an example isn't easy either. But why do we do this? We do it because it's worth it. Peter says, this is for a crown that doesn't fade away, but one that lasts. The impact we leave on others lasts far longer than whatever it is that keeps us from choosing this, whether it's money or fame or comfort or, or something else that it's just, you just don't feel qualified. The truth is, if we engage as leaders in faith, we can impact those around us. And at ECC, we believe nothing affects everything like leadership. We need our leaders at every level, the shepherd, to be willing and to give an example of following Jesus to those around them. Well, it's only after this challenge to us as leaders, this word directly to elders, that we get to a word for you, confirmance. Uh, again, how do you do, fellow kids? I am one of you. Uh, what, is it, what is it that Peter has to say for us? Well, it's nothing new if you were listening in our last series. It's submit with humility. Peter doesn't use a lot of extra words here, but man, sometimes it's hard to practice this. Sometimes it's hard to live this out as a young person. You know, as elders and as adults, we have experience to draw on, but young people have a passion that, that can be so powerful. And it's that passion and that power that makes it so important to notice what Peter puts next. Humility. When that passion gets mixed with pride, it can have immense destructive power. I think you've seen it in, in uh, the kids uh, that you're friends with or that are in your schools or around you, the ones that can't take direction from their teachers or from their coaches, the ones who don't listen to their parents without a shouting match, uh, or maybe you felt it in yourself. Those moments where you just have to fight back because you know you're right, or even sometimes when you know you're wrong. Pride can really damage things if we let it take too strong a hold. And pride like this, uh, in my experience, can be pretty obvious when you're young. You usually know when someone is struggling with pride. 
Uh, it's harder for, for young people to hide than it is for adults. It is a strong drive, a strong motivator, uh, but it's on the surface and it's something that can be worked on and traded for humility. And so if God is convicting you in this moment, know that this is a chance for you to do just that. Because the real danger is when that pride burrows and lasts and becomes ingrained in a person. See, I believe that pride is obvious when you're young, but it is insidious when you're an elder. When a leader lets pride run its course, it can blow up their life and the lives of those they influence. I am so tired of hearing of leader after leader in our culture and in the Christian church who didn't and couldn't confront their sin or their failure and their pride let it build and build and build until their position crumbled and they left lives ruined in their wake. ECC leaders, we can't let this happen. We have to do better than that. First Peter demands it of us and confirmands young people, you who are still working on building a faith that is worth confirming. Let's all of us put our pride aside and learn to practice humility. If these verses say God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, I don't want to get in an arm wrestling match with God and neither do you. That's not a fight you're going to win. I want God's grace on my side. I want to submit to the elders in my life and learn from their example. And I think you do too. Well, frankly, while I said this was a message to our compromands, Peter reiterates that this is for all of us in this very sentence. He says, submit, and then he says, all of you do it with humility. Humility is what ties all of this together. In his commentary on 1 Peter, Dennis Edwards connects Peter's example of humility back to Jesus. Look at verse 6. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It brings to mind just how Jesus chose humility over pride. He prays in the garden, humbly submitting to the will of God over his own. He sits and washes the disciples' feet, humbly shepherding them toward the kind of lives he is telling them to lead. And then, he even does it with Thomas. He appears to Thomas amidst his doubts, humbling himself to show the wounds in his hands and in his side, meeting Thomas in his doubt and his fear and his anxiety because he cared for him. As we seek to practice humility in our shepherding and in our submission, we follow the example of Jesus. And man, is it important that we have Jesus on our side and in our corner, not just as our example, but as our shepherd and our king. Because in these final verses, it shows us who our true adversary really is. Verse 8 says this, Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter tells all of us, confirmands and confirming congregation alike, that we are united under one banner against an adversary who's not flesh and blood, but who is seeking to steal the faith that we are looking to confirm. 
Together, we are experiencing the same pressure and the same battle that Christians have experienced throughout time and space before us and together today experience. And we put our trust in the one King who can restore, who can confirm and strengthen and establish us, and that's King Jesus. Friends, uh, and confirmands especially, know this. A faith that lasts is one that is confirmed regularly by the power of God at work in our lives. Don't let this be a moment in your faith. Let it be one of many daily moments where you choose to press more fully into knowing and following Jesus. Today, we confirm not your faith, you six, in ECC, the church, or Emmanuel, the church, but we confirm your faith in Emmanuel, the person, in Jesus Christ, in God with us. And so before we finish for this morning, I want to ask all of us a few questions. Who are you shepherding? I want you to write down a name. And if you don't have a name, shoot me an email and we will have coffee and figure it out because we have to put these verses into practice and this is a call for all of us. Likewise, who are you submitting to? Who are you subject to in your faith that you are learning from that is shepherding you and helping you to grow? If you don't have a name to write down, Let's get coffee and talk about it and figure it out because we have to put these verses into practice. And then finally, uh, congregation, this is for you. We have six young women who are confirming their faith in Jesus during our service today. Uh, I would ask for you through your connection card, go to emmanuel.church next and, and shoot me a verse for them, a way that God wants to speak to them through his word to encourage them as they take this step in their faith. If you can't do the connection card, at least send me an email at emmanuel, dan at emmanuel.church, and I'll pass that on to them. Well, as you write the answers to these three questions, let's continue to hear and to celebrate the faith of these six young women through the Apostles' Creed and through the rite of confirmation.